0: I'd like to talk about the biggest threats to good writing in the 21st century. I can think of three. And the first one is probably the most controversial. Um, hi, this is Nathan with The Bookening, by the way. Your humble and obedient host. How are you? Are you doing okay? I'm doing good. Chicken and art are here. But I wanna talk about the three biggest threats to good writing in the 21st century because I can think of three. Three things that I think are make it difficult, make it more difficult for for people to use exceptional style in their writing these days. And the first one, I guess, is the most controversial. I don't know how controversial it'll be for this crowd, but maybe a little bit controversial. I don't know. The first one is the death of male-inclusive language. Male-inclusive language being not just pronouns like using he or him as a stand-in for a generic person but also just the whole grammar of imagery that involved men doing things so like you read anyone through the beginning of at least the English language but really the beginning of time until uh you know mid mid 20th century and they will say something like this When a man submits his manuscript to the editor, the editor will send it to his typesetter. The typesetter will look at it, and he will think to himself, this manuscript looks good. Ancient manuscripts, the Bible is full of that kind of language. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. All the way up through the middle of the 20th century, and even into the 80s and 90s, and still some people... There are some crusty old kind of people that follow the grammar rules that they were taught as young lads and young ladies, and they use the generic masculine, they use he and him pronouns when they're talking about a generic person, and some of them, I think this is probably relatively more rare, but we'll we'll even use imagery of the type that I just described. You know, they're, they're describing a scenario, they'll just describe a generic man doing that scenario. And I always find it charming when I read, you know, like over on Sound of Sanity, we talked about Dale Carnegie, Dale Carnegie, the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People. And what's fun about that book, one of the things that I find kind of charming is it's like he's talking to the up-and-coming businessman and he, he makes all these assumptions about You as a reader. And so he's like, when you are seen at your club, you know, or or, then you will be uh, tempted to greet all the other fellows in the following manner. You know, he'll always be saying stuff like that. And I find it very charming. And I think that the use of that kind of gendered language actually was really important for good style throughout human history. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because a, just let's, let's talk theology for a second, very briefly. God made the world a certain way. He made it so that men are the representatives of the human race. Adam was the representative of the human race. The race was named Adam. It was named mankind. And men are the image bearers of God. They are the glory of God. Women are the glory of men. It's not that women aren't made in the image of God. They are But men have always been the heads of the race, the representatives, and our writing has always, throughout history, throughout most cultures, reflected that with male-inclusive language. By male-inclusive language, if that term's not clear, because it's not a term that everybody just throws around all the time, I guess it's probably clear from context, but in case it's not, if anyone's listening and it's not clear, male-inclusive means I talk about a man and he represents the race. He represents everybody. A woman is included under him. And you can see how that gets to be very triggering and problematic for modern people. But I think in addition to it testifying to the truth of how God built the universe with men as kind of the representatives of the human race, the leaders of the human race, that kind of language also makes for good style. It makes for clearer communication. It makes for more vivid writing that evokes more feeling, that is more convincing, if you're trying to convince, that paints more of a picture, if you're trying to paint a picture. And and, and the reason is this. It's very simple. All good writing involves symbol. All good writing involves metaphor. All good writing involves images. I think even conceptual writing, even philosophy, even tactical writing by and large when they're done well they create images in your head uh, bad writing is always abstract bad writing is always uses all these big concept words but good writing paints a picture i mean you, you let's just take the bible every book in the bible is just they're, they're just repositories of word pictures actually and that you know the apostle paul's writing is full of vivid metaphor obviously the psalms are are, are nothing but poetry and imagery the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he maketh me lie down beside green pastures all this kind of thing Uh, the proverbs you know it's it's not just wisdom like in the abstract this thing will produce this thing you know thrift will produce this go to the ant thou sluggard consider his way You you picture an ant um you know a wise son does this for a father this kind of thing right there's always these concrete images and of course the biblical history uh, p- p- books the the gospels of course are images all the narratives contain image after image after image even the law it's not a bunch of abstract legalese it's images it, it it makes you picture things if a man does this then this will happen to him if you do this to your slave then you know an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth we picture eyes we picture his teeth right so that's the bible and then you know don't make me list them off but whether it's william shakespeare or the philosopher plato or samuel johnson or who are you name most of the great writers most of the great thinkers most of the great communicators across history have painted pictures with their words language is simple and language is kind of inherently visual when it's done well actually the, the line i think between cinema and and the written word is a little bit blurrier than people like to pretend. They, they they like to think that written word is just abstract and cinema is concrete and it's all imagery. But actually, the written word involves a lot of images. And if you buy if you buy that conceit, then I think you can begin to see what I'm saying about male inclusive language. If one of the main things that great writing, whether it's theological, philosophical, conceptual writing, uh, you know, not just fiction and poetry, but all good writing, if one of the main things that all good writing does is create images, then it matters what our symbols are. It matters what kind of images we use. And it matters that we have a a collective agreed upon (laughs) database of symbols that we evoke. And so when we start to squabble and get political about what those symbols are, it actually can make our sort of mental viewfinder go murky. It can make things less clear. It used to be, we all just agreed, that when we entered the dream world, the symbol world of writing, we were going to have a male avatar. And the writer was going to send him out to do things and to represent things. and He was going to be the one who, in the scriptures, his way seemed right to him, but it turned out to be not so right, or he had a son and he needed to discipline that son, or in, in, in te- you know a, a writer's manual, he was the one that was going to be submitting the manuscript, or in a grocer's manual or a butcher's manual, he was going to be the one that was carving the meat. Uh, there was this male avatar that we, we all just agreed represented us. If we were going to write about someone doing something, unless it was a specific woman's only thing, it was going to be a man and 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 we were all just kind of okay with that. We all agreed that in our collective imagination, men were to be the representative icons, the representative figures. Then the feminists came along and said, that's sexist. And I don't think that they realized exactly what they wrought because they actually blurred our vision of that symbolic world. They actually made it harder to imagine a person doing a thing because... Let's think about the options, okay? Option number one, you you get rid of he, him, masculine inclusive pronouns. So you have to say things like they or them. That's one option, right? So instead of saying when a man goes to the store, he can buy a loaf of bread, you have to say when people go to the store, they are able to buy a loaf of bread. And that just doesn't conjure up as much of an image. It doesn't tell the story. Of a man going to the store and uh, buying a loaf of bread. You don't suddenly imagine vividly one person doing it. You just kind of think vaguely about the concept of someone doing it. Uh, what about the classic? If he or she goes to the store, then he or she can buy a loaf of bread. Well, again, it's just a little bit murky. Your, your brain has to work a little harder. There's another step in there. You have to, you, you, you think a little bit about the politics of he or she. You, you trip over it. You, 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 Even if you decide, oh, I'm going to picture a he or I'm going to picture a she, you had to make that decision. It wasn't just natural and smooth. It didn't just ease you into a mental picture the way that simply having an agreed upon icon or avatar that was masculine allowed you to do. With me so far? What are the other options when you're writing this kind of stuff? You say, if you go to the store, you can buy a loaf of bread. That's okay. I mean, that's probably the best one that we have when we're trying to be inclusive. But I still don't think it's great. I still actually don't think, and and maybe this is my personal bias, but I do not think that if you go to the store, you can buy a loaf of bread conjures up an image in my mind, or in the average person's mind, I dare say, quite as much as if a man goes to the store, he can buy a loaf of bread. But that's actually not all the damage that gender-inclusive language, as opposed to masculine-inclusive language, has done. Because actually, we all know that these kinds of circumlocutions—the he or she, or the he slash she, or the they—we all know it's kind of cumbersome. So, what we actually, by and large, do oftentimes is we just avoid evoking a mental image in the first place. We just we don't send anyone to the store. We just talk about like. At the store, a loaf of bread can be bought. Or at the store, bread can be found. I mean, that that's kind of stacking the deck because I'm using a passive voice, so it sounds even lamer. But but the good active version of there's bread at the store. And you lose out on that image of somebody going to the store and buying it. All because you didn't want a man to be the bread buyer at the store. And I think if if, if you know, when, when we have thousands of years of history, when it's all said and done and documented, and, and people can look back at this time, mean, they will say language was fuzzy. Language was less vivid, less connected to mental images and symbols and, and, and things that we can latch on to with our brains. Things that we can latch on to with our, our hearts and our souls. Language was less helpful, less convincing because it evoked less of an image in your brain because. We were not allowed to use masculine, inclusive language. We were not allowed to just ask the reader to imagine a man doing a thing. I mean, you think about the vividness of someone like C.S. Lewis, such a wonderful stylist. And actually, a lot of it comes from our Chesterton or any of the great 20th century, E.B. White, any of the great 20th century prose stylists, be they fiction or nonfiction or whatever. They would send a man to a store. They would say... When a man reads with his pipe, you know, C.S. Lewis is always saying things like that. And it gives his writing kind of vividness that his pe- people downstream of him don't have. Because he's always making you picturing uh, a man doing a thing. And I think our collective world, or, you know, our collective sort of consciousness, our collective world of symbols and metaphors and, you know, this, this dream world that words are allow, uh, supposed to help us access has lost something, in that we don't have an agreed-upon avatar that we can picture doing things. Now, you could say that there is the other solution, which is to have the agreed-upon avatar be a woman. I actually have, in a perverse way, some respect for the authors that just do that, who just say, when she goes to the store, she buys a loaf of bread. When the editor receives a manuscript, she is going to want to read it over. That kind of thing. I have a certain respect for that because at least it evokes an image, but not one that you don't trip over, not one that you're not like, oh, that was politicized. Also, I think let's just face it, as a man, I don't want my avatar, I don't want my little symbol world video game character that's doing things on my behalf to be a woman. It feels a little demeaning. I don't like it when the editor is a woman, when the homeowner is a woman when the gardener or the business person is, is a woman. I prefer for it to be a man. And I think that's because I'm godly. I think that's because I'm a Christian and God has conformed my heart to his word. And so I actually want the male to be representative. And it's because I'm not emasculated and wimpy. So I I, 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 I want the male to be representative. And I think by and large, women... When they're not being taught by a reverse culture to be rebellious ruse, they are okay and have been okay and will continue to be okay with being represented in the symbol verse, in the dream world, in the metaphor, construct, matrix, whatever, by a male avatar. I I, I think they're fine with it, actually. I, I don't think anybody cares besides some shrill nasty feminists um and when a shrill nasty feminist makes this kind of argument you should smack him you should smack him because it's silly it's silly you shouldn't really smack him i was doing a thing with gendered pronouns there it's funny so that is the first reason why i just don't think writing can be as good can be as vivid can be as awesome these days and of course it's not that there's not good writing i'm just i think every area you could probably ask what are the constraints what are the fetters that are on this art form right now and uh you know we live in the era we live in and we're considering the art form that we're considering which is writing and we're talking about what fetters are on writing and so fetter number one is we have to use gender inclusive language and it really actually fetters The imagination and fetters the ability for a writer to communicate with his reader. Second thing that I think fetters people is very, very simple. I think we live in an era when good style is not prized. We live in the era of the audiobook. I love audiobooks. We live in the era of the internet. I love internet. We live in the era of movies and TV. I love movies and TV. But all of those things tend to favor quick production. Tend to favor consumption. Tend to favor pure narrative thrust over style, over beauty, over just good workmanship. There's we just we, there's not a lot of demand for it, you know. Nobody who wasn't a terrible snob was angry at J.K. Rowling for just being okay. Nobody demanded that she be really, really good. No, nobody wanted that. Kids, kids reading Harry Potter did not care how well-written it was. What they cared about was the story. That's fine. We on The book Bookening love story. But I think if there's no demand for artistry, then why are people going to provide it? If you can make the same amount of money, I mean, it's all about supply and demand, right? If you can make the same amount of money, writing an okay book as you can, a really exceptional one. If people aren't looking for style, if it's not on the top of anyone's list, then why would you do it? There's going to be very few people that really want to hone their styles because it's 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 not going to sell. And selling things is important. It allows you to buy things and then eat things and shelter things, namely yourself. Now, I know there are wonderful stylists out there. I know there are places where good style still thrives. I, mean, I, I don't want to generalize too much here. But I just want to say the premium on good style is not that high right now. Now you may ask, was it ever? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think it was. I think people have always prized narrative, and truth, and relatability, and all all kinds of things over "quote unquote" style. But you can't read a, a Victorian novel, you can't watch an Elizabethan play, you can't travel to some of these other eras and see what kind of art they produced, and not see that in many of these eras they valued the written word more and maybe some of that was just it was the only thing that they had but there were definitely times and places where it was important to people or at least somewhat important at least more important than it is now that things be well written that there be words that really sing that are really memorable that's just not the world that we live in today and i'm not sure sure that it should be the world that we live in i'm just saying that's one of the things that you have to take into account So okay that one's kind of minor the last one, man, the last one. Okay, it's so the third thing that fetters style today that keeps people from really just writing stuff that soars is screens and, to some degree, audiobooks. I love screens and audiobooks. I would not trade them. I would not get rid of them. I read almost exclusively on a Kindle. I listen to a ton of audiobooks. I barely ever crack a page. and. Mm, Those things make my life greatly convenient. They enable me to do shows like this one. I cannot complain about them. But for everything, there is a trade-off. For everything, there is a trade-off. And for these things, there is a trade-off. And there is something about ink on a page. There is something tactile and, and real and beautiful and sturdy about words printed on a piece of paper that i think or at least i suspect actually inspires people to write great prose i mean would melville have written moby dick if he knew that most people are going to read it on a kindle if he was staring at a laptop screen while he wrote that darn thing could raymond chandler have written the big sleep or farewell my lovely on anything but a typewriter I saw an interview, I think it was Charlie Rose, before he got canceled, interviewed Elmore Leonard, Leonard, the crime author. And Elmore Leonard, who's obviously a good stylist, said he still wrote on a typewriter and he would never stop. And he said, largely the death of good writing is modern word processing technology because it makes it too easy. You don't have to work. You don't have to think. You don't have to sit there and cogitate. Before you type something on your typewriter, you can just move words around on screens. Now... I don't really believe that. And I don't really believe in the juju of paper or ink or the juju of magical old bookstores. I mean, I'm nothing if not a pragmatist when it comes to these things. I, I really am. I believe in Kindle. I believe in audiobook. I, I believe in all of it. I think books were made for man. Man was not made for books. The cult of books annoys me. Uh, I love books. And I love physical books and I you know I own some nice ones and I I'm proud of them and I'm always tempted to scrounge up some money and try and order a, you know 200 buck book, dollar book from the folio society and stuff like that like I can, I, can, I can dig on and vibe on some quality bound books with paper and stuff and you know I wouldn't be able to do any of the work that I do without a word processor I think word processors are wonderful and i think that the, there are still let me just give all the caveats here i think there are still great stylists and i think a great stylist can use a word processor and i think a great stylist can know that his see what I did there that his work will appear on a kindle and that his work will appear on an audiobook and so there will always be great stylists and there'll always be really crummy stylists what i do think word processors probably do and kindle probably does and just the existence of a bunch of words on screen just just words being so much more ubiquitous and so much less visually sturdy less visually sacred but less honored less sort of bound in a magnificent volume between leather i think what it what it does is it probably takes away some of the impetus for the middle of the road people to aim as high as possible you know what i mean if someone's just okay and they're living in a world where all the signifiers say words are cheap, they're everywhere, they're on our screens, they're right next to ads for diet supplement pills and kitty chew toys and you know whatever other things Facebook is trying to sell you. If you're living in a world where words feel more cheap and you're someone who can choose whether to aim high or aim low, you might aim not quite as high. Whereas if you're living in a world where words feel elevated, they feel like special things that belong between the covers of books, you might just aim a little higher. So I think we'll always have great. I think we'll always have terrible, but we're going to have a little bit less, or I think we, I would contend, I I suspect, I mean, there's no way for me to really prove this, but I suspect we have, what we have less of is okay, striving to be great. And I think all all the things I mentioned go into that. You know, if you have a word processor and it makes it really easy for you to write, it makes it easy for you to get words down on a page with less thought. Are you going to be tempted to put in a little extra level of grease or to maybe just get by? You know, if, if we lived in a different era, if we lived in an era, and for all I know, JK Rowling writes with a magical quill of wonder or she uses an old typewriter or something like that. But for all I know, if we lived in an era that was 50 years ago, when style itself was more greatly valued, the written word was more greatly valued, and all the signifiers of society made it clear that the written word was more greatly valued, maybe she would have just put a little extra polish into Harry Potter. Maybe it would be a little bit better written. And one piece of evidence that I do have for that is that the bad stuff of yesteryear is better than the bad stuff of today. The pulp thrillers of the 1920s and 1930s are better than the crappy equivalents today the victorian penny dra- dreadfuls are better written than a jack reacher novel or i mean a jack reacher is fine but you whatever the equivalent is harlequin romance people are less literate. literate they when they're doing a bad job they try less within the confines of that bad job when they're doing an okay job it feels like they try less within the confines of that okay job even writers who i I respect like stephen king i think he can be sloppy he can be lazy the farther along he got in his career the the less he was ever interested in having an editor edit him but at his best he's a pretty great stylist actually he's got an ear he's got a knack for it and he knows a lot of tricks he's a good stylist I feel like in the 70s and 80s, and even into the mid-90s, he tried harder. These days, people kind of expect him to write for Kindle, it feels like. People kind of respect, expect him to write for the audiobook, and he kind of lives down to that. You try and read his new novels, and they're, they're just not as good in the style, in the way that sentences are put together, the, the nuance that he gives the dialogue. Some of that, I'm sure, is just me maturing out of Stephen King, which is good. Yay me. But I think he's also gotten worse. Or he just doesn't try as hard. I think it's just too easy. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't think. Like, if, 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 if people just did away completely with the written word, and I was writing a novel that was intended for Kindle, and I knew Kindle was the the closest to the page it was ever going to get, I don't know that I would be as motivated to make it sore. I'm not really sure exactly. I mean, I think probably everyone intuits what I mean by that especially kindle users or people that have tried and certainly if you're someone who's rejected at kindle because it just doesn't have that feeling then you know what i'm talking about like it's not quite the same it doesn't have the same dignity sitting there on a page it doesn't have the same dignity knowing that page 30 is always page 30 it's not just created when you swipe to it you know what i mean i don't know i wonder if you have any thoughts constant listener what do you think um scheduling scheduling We are still going to finish all the books that we said we would. We're still going to do Room with a View, Ender's Game, and Fathers and Sons. I I hope we will have them all done by the end of the year. This has been a crazy year with me and Jake moving to Evansville, trying to plant this church. Having a lot of success, by the way, if you follow the Jake and Nathan story, uh, Church of the King is now at 70 to 80 people, attending on an average Sunday. It's doing really well. And... We're very blessed and we have a lot of work to do. And Jake in particular as our head pastor has a lot of work to do. And Brandon is busy as well. So I, what I'm trying to do right now, I've been talking to Jake and we need to talk to Brandon. I want to sort of codify a way of doing the booking that allows us to get you content every week, but also allows for the fact that we can't all come in all four Wednesdays of the month and, do the same high energy thing that we used to do. So I'd like to make sure that every month we get a contextual text in with Brandon. That's awesome. And everything you've always wanted from that. I'd like to make sure that we get every month, at least one big group friend discussion with the three of us where we have fun and we go deep on the book. And then maybe we'll get two of those. Maybe we'll have some more Nathan monologues. They won't all be as esoteric as this one. Um, But I don't know. I enjoy, I enjoy doing that. Maybe we will have some other things, but what I like to do is bake it in so you can kind of expect it. And you're not like thinking that it's just always going to be the same bucketing, and, and then you, you're you like, oh, this is just a Nathan. I wasn't expecting that. Or this is a Nathan and Brandon. I wasn't expecting that. I, I'd like to sort of come up with a formula. And I don't exactly know what that formula it is, but you know, it could look like the first Wednesday of the month is contextual Texas. Second one is like a a jake heavy thing and then it's the group discussion with all three of us um and then the fourth, you know something like that anyway we're talking about it i appreciate your patience we all still believe in the show we love the show we want to keep doing the show so i hope that there is value i mean i understand you didn't tune into the booking for this but i hope that there is some value in the things that we do that aren't just the three of us and um yeah i think my goal with the show is to increase i I, i've been inspired by the fun that we've been having over at sanity on the movies reviewing movies going really deep and being really analytical and getting a lot of context and it's made me want to bring a little bit more of that energy to the booking. i love that we have fun on the booking and i'm proud of the work that we do but i want to go deeper so weirdly while i'm contemplating ways of sort of codifying a schedule that allows all three men to participate maybe in a way that's more relaxed for us but still gets the work done um, I also want to figure out how to go deeper on the books while also still having the patented booking fun that you've come to know and respect so that's kind of a little mini state of the show kind of thing It is 938 on a Tuesday and I'm very tired so I will go ahead and publish this. And I love you. I will talk to you soon. Sorry, there's no music.